Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy, joined by uh, my co-host. He's street smart and he's book smart. Could have been a chemist because he cooks smart. Steve Walsh. Hello. We're pushing the limits of uh, South London today a little bit. You know, a place that would have been sorry at some point. But, you know, sorry docks would have been sorry, wouldn't it, Steve? So, <laughs> you know, get over it. It's uh, on the tube line, though, right? It's on... You know, it's transpond time. Yeah, it's got an SW, SW postcode. I know Fort Wolfgang Money Penny. You know Vaughan style. Don't want us talking about postcodes, but what are you going to what are you going to use? We've got a system. And we're yeah, to it. we're in Barnes. We're not in Barnes because we recorded and it was. <laughs> I was going to so, say, are we going to pretend we're in Barnes? It was so windy that um, it, was it sounded like we were on a we were a talk radio station that was not tuned in right. <laughs> and it was just it was unusable. So we're going to. Uh, I was saying earlier while we were recording. Uh, you you said to me this wind is killing us, and I thought classic Jack just worrying about these little bits of background noise that don't bother anyone except him and his fastidious ways. We're like the odd couple in it, you know. Felix Unger over here. I'm uh, Watermelon. It's fine. Um, Jack Lemon, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you sent me the file to sort of prompt me on things that we covered so that you know we wouldn't repeat ourselves unnecessarily. Um, and uh, there's like a five minute bit where it's just maybe I'll stick a bit in uh, after the credits yeah that would be nice actually people's just amusement I yeah. know oh, but we've also got after the credits we've got a little bit about Waterloo because uh, Waterloo Station where we went from to get the train to Barnes Bridge has gone under a bit of a renovation uh, so we just talked about that a bit after the credits so I say credits I mean it's a theme tune but stick around so yeah we started this podcast Steve uh, to talk about South London and I mean, it's very Southwark and Lambeth and Lewisham. A lot of heavy. it's influenced by where we've lived, Our own where we've worked, yeah. where we've hung out, places we know. Because you've got, we've got a deeper connection to these places, and it's a natural thing to do, isn't it? It's a natural thing. You know, these, these are when when you came up with the idea of doing this show and the format of it being about South London. The first things that occurred to me were the places that I grew up and the places that I knew in depth, and it, it, the, you know, part of the fun of it is us going to places that we've never been before and talking about places yeah. we've never talked about before I mean Barnes I think I'm right in saying was the first time we both it was, off, it was the first time we've both gone to a place for the first time yeah so that's a you know it's an, a, a great way for us to sort of break into new software and for personal interest as well you know we could um, I think it would be quite conceivable to do a weekly podcast on the Wharf Road for about four or five years, because it's just ridiculous. How do you like your pie mash? You know, pie <laughs> face down, pie face down. But yeah, no, it was really uh, interesting to have a look at a place with really fresh eyes. It's not a case of mm. having to find new facets to a place you know already. This is like all new material and some, some brilliant stuff emerges. It was interesting the lady at the London Wetland Centre, which we'll come on to, referred to it as a lovely little town. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so... There is a feeling of, of otherness from it. Mm. Well, that's yeah. You know, how did you find it, Steve? Did it? Did you find it to be um, the South London you know? Well, going into it, you have an idea about Barnes and my idea of Barnes was uh, it's a really ridiculously posh place. Um, and you know, I read, as you pointed out, some outdated uh, statistics about uh, 
it having the highest average internet shopping spend in the UK of like £150. Whoever yeah. wrote the Wikipedia article seemed to think that was particularly relevant. It but, probably was. I mean, but that's like, the thing, it gives you an idea of the place. You're like, these are affluent people. And like, as we got off the train, we got on the train at Waterloo, and it's a very standard sort of train journey, sort of going out to this place. Um, but as we got off the train, uh, we were immediately followed off by about 20 kids with uh, hockey sticks and hockey gear. Well, you could smell deep heat on the train. I said to you, I was like, uh, someone's wearing deep heat. And, uh, yeah. Wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little dab behind the ears. <laughs> Not too much. Uh, uh, Overpower the women. Um, but, yeah, just... And uh, they weren't, you know... It's not a case of there being sort of 15 Woodhousian cliches behind this all <laughs> chinless wonders before and away. But clearly, straight away, you're like... This is South London, but not South London no. that you'd actually mm. recognise immediately. The charity shops, I think, were another good uh, indicator of that. From when we got yeah. off the train, we sort of did a, a nice little walk actually through yeah, it was, through Barnes it? itself, and um, we're both sort of charity shop hawks, and we were all sort of digger. We're going to say hounds, hounds, hawks. You know, little nosing round. Trying yeah, to I got things. the Modern Toss Guide to Work, which is uh, my favourite book of all time. <laughs> Um, I didn't buy anything in either shops, but they were uh, again Jimmy Choo's and the window. Yeah, and then I mean that was but that the was first in, one. that was in the shabby one. And when yeah. I say shabby, it's only because the second one was just remarkable. It was like marble floor, it's like a boutique, a chaise long in the middle that's like decorated. Cashmere with... baby clothes. Oh, it and was. She was um, like, Why didn't you buy any? I was like, it's eighteen pounds for yeah. a cardigan. She was like, Maxi, it's only eighteen pounds for a <laughs> cardigan. <laughs> the thing I was most tempted to buy in either was a dandy annual. 1986 but it's misguided uh, nostalgia, uh, I, I reckon I had that one yeah I think I probably had it as well yeah we also got like quite a delicious cake there didn't we I mean I, I got a bit of shoe pastry with uh, some cream and a chocolate covered profiteroles roll on it for £1.10 and that was delicious I got a uh, cherry danish for 95p which was uh, also very tasty and then we took a walk up the road to uh, one of the most important uh, recording studios in the history of music yeah, in the world ever. It's remarkable. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And, you know, doing the research for the show, uh, I'd read about this place, but it never occurred to me, because it's uh, not operating as a recording show anymore, for some reason I just thought it didn't exist anymore, but obviously that's not the case. So you led us there, and we got a chance to see uh, Olympic Studios. Yeah, it's... Um... It's hard to overstate its importance, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, you know... At the end of the day, the, the artist is the important thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the stuff that came out of it. Yeah. Like, sometimes you go on Wikipedia or you go on these websites and they give you a list of these people recorded here and you're like, all right. You know, and you go there and that, oh, that person, you know, popped in and did some overdubs on, you know, were they even there? But this, you know, there's incredible stuff there. Like, you you could just almost skip over White A Shade of Pale and uh, Wild Thing. And you know, like Block Party, one of my favourite bands of the last few years, they recorded there. U2 closed it. But that's all kind of quite minor compared to, you know, the Beatles. Wannabe by the Spice Girls. There you go, that was mentioned on the window. They put it on the window, I was like, there's got to be other things to put on the window. But that is um, significant, isn't it? Yeah, but compared to the Beatles. It's not good. I mean, the Beatles doing uh, All You Need Is Love and uh, Baby You're a Rich Man. And uh, Jimi Hendrix. Did his first record there, and parts of uh, and the first two records there, parts of Electric Ladyland as well. Like the coda on Boulder's Love was recorded there. Like it's one of the most incredible things that's ever been captured onto tape. You know, it's amazing. 
Uh, Led Zeppelin did Led Zeppelin one there and bits of other stuff. Like this is the greatest guitar music that's ever been recorded, and it was all, it was like all done there. But the sort of crowning glory of it is that the Rolling Stones did six albums in a row there. Not in a row, but they did six albums there. And uh, not over a crazy two week period. Uh, you know, let it let it bleed being one of them, for example. Um, and like you know, imagine them doing "Give Me Shelter." You know, and you're standing outside the spot. I mean, it was I wore my Rolling Stones t-shirt in. Uh, you know, I took a photo of you, didn't I? Well, yeah, I mean, people will. You know, people want to see that. You know, and you want to sort of get some new interest, I reckon. <laughs> but yeah, the um, Olympic Studios you can see in its uh, full glory in the. Rolling Stones film uh, Sympathy for the Devil also known in other parts of the world is what's it called One Plus One One and One Plus One yeah Yeah, but I mean Sympathy for the Devil was I mean it's about the recording of Sympathy for the Devil the track you know one of the most famous Rolling Stones tracks and a great track directed by Jean-Luc Godard yeah do you know how he came up with the idea for the project or how the project no go on Um, he came to Britain initially to uh, make a film about uh, abortion laws. <laughs> right. And then, by the time he got to Britain, they'd uh, changed the laws on abortion, making it legal. Oh, <laughs> so right. he had no uh, reason to make a film. So someone said to him, well, you're here now. Do you want to do something? And he went, um, yeah, I'll make a film with the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. it, it, just off the top of his head. And um, he approached the Beatles first, and they turned him down. And then he approached the Rolling Stones, and they said... Yes, please. We'd love to make a film with you. And it is a remarkable film, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tremendous piece of work. Um, it's sort of, it's a very odd juxtaposition of things, really. I mean, it's about the creation of the song. So two-thirds of the film is just the camera moving up and down while they record the song. And, like, not just record the song, when they write the song. And, I mean, it starts off with... Um, they make right. the song. It's just, yeah. like, from the very... Yeah, you know, from, from... I mean, it starts off with three of them, you know, um, Mick Jagger, Brian Jones, and Keith Richards. They're with their acoustic matching uh, Gibson Hummingbirds. Well, I think, initially, song. it's just... I don't think Richards is involved right at the start. Because it mm. felt like it was a bit where Richards comes over and he just, like, gets another layer. Mm. He just, like, immediately sits down. And you're like, oh, it really sounds o- like Open it, shirt, sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, they, they all look remarkable. Yeah, I mean, they? Bill Wyman's wearing pink boots. I think pink boots, pink shirt and purple trousers. Mm. Just, uh, none of them look anything less than exceptional, do they? It's, uh, no, it is, uh, yeah. It's, it's 1968. This is the Stones, uh, you'd have to say at their peak, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah, I mean, I it was mean, a long peak. They're recording yeah, Sympathy yeah. for the Devil. I yeah. mean, it is, uh, you know. But yeah, you see the... Genesis of the song, basically. I mean, and then also Brian Jones's marginalisation, uh, you know, in the group. He starts off he's playing acoustic guitar, and from that point, after that take, you know, he's behind, the, he's boxed into like this kind of yeah, make, like three makeshift, panels. yeah, makeshift booth. There's all these kind of big orange panels everywhere, it's and you can't away, hear his it. guitar throughout. He plays a guitar, and it's just turned down. You can't hear an acoustic guitar, you know. Um, and pretty soon, Keith Richards takes the bass off of Bill Wyman, and he's on the maracas. They've got, really they got to do it properly, haven't they? Yeah, and that's it. I mean, you can just see it that it's um, Mick and Keith's group at that point. That's the other thing as well. And even you Charlie really Watts do... is getting stick for, well, for his where, time. Yeah. And it's remarkable, because you can sort of see they try different versions. Yeah, was it Nicky Hopkins on the uh, organ first? It's kind of a real kind of heavy organ version, yeah. prominent organ. And he eventually like moves over to the piano, yeah. and they get the uh, guy in the bongos, 
and it all kind of you know I mean, it eventually becomes a song that you know and love yeah. Um, it feels like it's going to be guitar led at the start, and then it feels like it's going to be all the and it ends up being quite percussion led mm. by the end. And it is just odd to sort of. It's an incredible thing to see because you just don't, you don't see this kind of thing. I mean, there are other great uh, rock documentaries, but to see it's pure process. Yeah, I've never see, seen anything no, like it. Anything tremendous. like it to sort of see, as you say, draft, the, different drafts of the yeah. song almost, and also just the the actual the the, the way. That they communicate ideas with. Mm. There's a bit, and it's odd. It's almost like a cliche. It's a bit where um, Jagger's just sort of like uh, uh, needs. It just needs more energy. It needs, and he's saying these things, and you sort of go, "How is anyone taking direction off this?" Yeah, but yeah. Rich is just sort of nodding, mm. and then does change things. It does sound immediately uh, better. So there's clearly, you know, chemistry there beyond simple instructions to one another. But the film, of course, isn't just uh, no process. No, it's also um, a lot of. I mean, I don't know if you quit avant garde. But it's sort of strands, isn't there? There's different sort of strands. I when I rewatched it um, for for this podcast, I skipped all the bits with the Black Panthers and people just walking around junkyards spouting revolutionary rock. politics. Yeah, exactly, because it's yeah. so tedious and rubbish. I don't know. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I really liked the the uh, title cards. Yeah, which, yeah, you know, yeah. which were kind of hand painted. Yeah. They all looked really great, and the words are kind of mixed up and stuff. Did you hear about the BFI screening when it was finished? No. Um, one of the things that Goddard was firm about was that at no point did he want uh, a finished version of Simply for the Devil in the Film. Oh yeah, yeah. Because his mm. thing was about it's about process, yeah. and that for me, you know, I've obviously blogged before about unfinished work and whatnot and, and different creative processes. It's that fascinates me. Uh, you know, process over product. Let's not worry exactly what's going to come out of this. Let's see what people are doing to get to this point. And um, yeah, Goddard was like, uh, it doesn't matter what it sounds like at the end. That's not the important thing. The important thing is seeing how these people work towards something. Um, but one of the producers disagreed. So when Goddard handed over his cut, the guy spliced onto the end yeah. a finished uh, version of Symphony of the Devil. They screened it at uh, the BFI. Um, as the film stopped with the finished version at the end, God, I got up, um, went over to the and went, who did this? And the guy went, it was me. And God, I punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one of the producers uh, tried to drag him away. God, I took a swing at him uh, and missed. And then God, I just sort of shouted to the audience. He was like, this is not my film. This is not my film. I'll show you my film. I'm going to get a projector and I've got another cut of it that's my film and I'm going to project it onto the bridge outside so the second producer Waterloo Bridge apparently yeah the second producer he took a swing out and missed uh, got a projector for him <laughs> and uh, he projected his version onto the bridge outside so at this point Steve we were when we were recording before it uh, started raining we were waiting for the guided tour of the wetland centre I think it started raining then we went in the cap and recorded some more so we probably just cut here innit and then uh, we'll see you in the calf. It's starting to rain, which doesn't bode well for our trip around the wetlands. And uh, <laughs> you know what you're going to do? We've already paid ten pounds to get in, haven't we, Steve? So nine nine nine. Yeah, I'm not giving gift aid. I'm sorry. What does that mean? And a pound to give gift aid? It's like a tax-free donation or something. I don't know. But it shouldn't cost me more, should it? No. The Wetland Centre is actually located uh, on the grounds of the Manor House of Barn Elms, which is where the name Barnes comes from. 
Um, the grounds themselves are home to London's oldest plane tree. Mm. And still house uh, sports fields and football grounds that have been used uh, by many clubs over the years. I mean, there's a sort of there's a, a semi professional team, Barnes FC, at the moment. And uh, QPR played here for a little while in the early 20th century when they were uh, unable to find a home uh, closer to Shepherd's Bush. Currently, Barnes is also uh, home to quite a acclaim as well. Apparently, they, uh, the people of Barnes have the highest annual spend on internet shopping in the UK. On average, uh, £150 per head per annum. Yeah, well, that's, the survey's about six years out of date, isn't it? Things have changed radically since. But yeah, that's not a great surprise, is it? I mean, they're people with money, aren't they? Loaded, aren't they? I mean, you know, Gustav Holt used to live there, Steve. <laughs> Ninette de Valois. You know, it's always... Uh, but just sort of walking through fancy. it as well, There's, it, it's all just nice places, isn't it? Mm. You know, it is... Uh, lovely houses and even sort of like the flats above the shops are clearly uh, well maintained and gorgeous yeah there's uh, a rich sporting history to Barnes isn't there overplayed a little but you know there is uh, some valid claims as well yeah very much so yeah there are a number of um, football clubs that claim to be the oldest in the world like there's just there's like dozens <laughs> like, you know, it's sort of arguments for each. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, some yeah. of them was like, oh, well, they went on the long. You know, they've been running continuously the longest. You know, they didn't do football, but they were this long. They and formed first, but this one played mm, the first match. Yeah, but Barnes Club, aka Barnes Rugby Football Club, is one that claims to be. Incidentally, two other South London clubs are in that uh, mix. <laughs> one being Guy's Hospital Football Club, and the other one being the Gymnastic Society that played at Kennet and Common. Well, I think we've mentioned. We've mentioned the Gymnastics Society before, but I think so, man. Maybe in the FA Cup episode, maybe not. But, um, yeah, they're all in the mix. But they were played in the first ever FA Rules match, didn't they, versus Richmond's Barnes? Yeah, yeah, well, it was a Barnes resident at the time, uh, a gentleman called Ebenezer Cobb Morley. Yeah, we founded the club, didn't we? Yeah, and, and he, he wrote the first uh, football rules. Well, he suggested or laws of the game. I he say. suggested the formation of a football association to regulate the game, and wrote the rules for what would become association football. And then they played essentially what would be uh, an exhibition game to sort of show how the rules would be in play, which would have been, I guess, fascinating to watch. People sort of like yeah. instinctively would have thought to do certain things, but like, is that is that a thing? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's incredible, isn't it? These, you know, we kind of uh, you might say things are a bit tenuous on this show, Steve. Sometimes, sometimes we do try and claim things, but like you know, the first ever, uh, arguably the first ever international football match played in South London. Yep, and now the, we're reading the first ever the creation of the FA Cup. Yeah, the creation know. of the FA. Should mm. Gillianaires next? And then we can finish on, finish on the big guy, isn't it? Oh, Gillianaires. I thought you meant like uh, in like billionaires. <laughs> I'm a Gillianaire. <laughs> Go on then. Yeah, I, I hadn't uh, thought of Gillianaires, but you sort of said, have you got a few things? So I had a look. And uh, yeah, Barnes-born, uh, abstract painter, who also trained at Camberwell. So there's a strong South London connection there. Um, fascinating life. She went to... Um, 
a sort of experimental school. Uh, it was called a Froebel school, based on the teachings of a, a German educationalist. Um, so she never learnt to read until she was 11. Wow. Because only when she went to secondary school, went to a proper school, and they taught her to read. But, um, but it's interesting because um, this guy, Froebel, although uh, a controversial educationalist, was a huge inspiration to modern eyes uh, because his work was very much about play being important and uh, abstract okay, thought. Yeah. So for modern eyes, he was quite an inspiration. A lot of uh, people created work around his ideas. So it's interesting that she sort of went to this school that failed her as an educational institution but seems to have given her a strong foundation for the yeah. work she would do in later life did you ever look at any of her I mean this is no. harkening back to our uh, yeah, tape on episode no I've been watching uh, Robert Hughes The Shock of the New uh, but she's not been mentioned in it so okay you wouldn't like it it's, it's very much bright daubings I, I wasn't a fan it looks it looks I, like I sort like of a couple of Kandinsky's pieces yeah, Kandinsky seems a bit more disciplined for me. I mean, hers, uh, her process annoyed me as well. It's like, it's very sort of uh, habitat style throws and curtains. I mean, blocky colours and smears and whatnot. But. Uh, She's still alive? I think so, yeah. Um, yes, well, there was a, an interesting story a, a few years ago uh, where they did, when Sensation was on at the Royal Academy, and they made a documentary about it. And uh, she. Uh, resigned from the Royal Academy because the portrayal of elder academicians on the programme was uh, sort of, you know, stuffy and whatnot. But also because they allowed um, that famous portrait of Myra Hindley made from children's handprints. Oh, yeah. So she was like, this isn't... That's uh, pretty Yeah, she's like, that's not legitimate. But, I mean, her process, so she creates these sort of, like, colourful daubings. And, and there was one called like Romeo and Juliet and I was like trying to sort of see huh. what the relevance was it's not was. magic eyes Steve but the thing is it's not because uh, what she does is she just does these abstract pieces and then sort of choose the title afterwards that Adam captures the mood Eve. yeah she just sort of chooses the name that she likes after. it's very very odd but yeah um, seems like an interesting character on the uh, the internet as well you've got people claiming uh, Robert Patterson yeah, he's from Bonds. Is he? Yeah. Was that Patterson. confirmed? Yeah, man, I was going to bring that up. Oh, right. Yeah. The, uh, it looked very vague to me. It looked like he was from South West London and someone... If anyone doesn't man. know, man, Team Ed, hashtag Team Edward. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, twi- the guy from Twilight who plays the vampire. All oh, right, because I thought that was an example of them just claiming nah, someone man, from South West London. He's one I've got on my list, man. Okay. I've got two actors on my list. One of them is uh, Robert Pattinson. I've never seen any of his films. I saw a trailer for the third Twilight film. Uh, when you went to see Skyfall yeah, did anyone shriek so bad some girl shrieked at the end there was a lot of screaming like when um, Daniel Craig first came on the screen as we were watching Skyfall you know there was some kind of a, a noise when Ben Wyshaw first came on people were like mm. I mean when Naomi Harris came on my heart did skip a beat but <laughs> that, was, that was silent yeah the other actor Steve uh, Chewbacca Peter Mayhew played yeah. Chewbacca who's from Barnes have you seen any recent photographs tall isn't he pretty much turned into Chewbacca as well just grown this long <laughs> curly hair uh, what a wookie yeah people love Star Wars right maybe we can put a little Star Wars hashtag on this maybe people <laughs> will listen but they would have turned off by this point if they're Star Wars fans <laughs> and one more Steve uh, resident I've got for you uh, well someone from Barnes Jimmy Perry you got him yeah Jimmy Perry creator so of Dad's pleased. Army Heidi Hyatt and Enar Co- Potman co-creator Right. Do you have to? Well, you know. Yeah, but I would call myself the creator of stuff on the hardcore. And that's fair. Pro <laughs> <laughs> <Her> creator. <laughs> uh, right, this is only 
this is an aside about Jimmy Perry, but did you come across his first ever TV show, The Gnomes of Dulwich? No. He made a sitcom called The Gnomes of Dulwich. Um, they, were, they made six episodes, and then the BBC, in the seven, it was in 1969. Burn everything. And the BBC wiped it. Of course they did. They were unbelievable, weren't they? Um, but yeah, it was like these, I think, not animated, but I think like people were dressed as gnomes. I think there were six people playing gnomes. But, you know, the big find for Barnes, isn't it? the big get. What, Timble? Yeah, Tim. I'll, we'll have to do a Tim. Berners Lee episode at some point, Steve. Hall of Fame, wasn't it? And yeah, obviously, Hall of in, fame, in the yeah. Hall of Fame, he'll be joining Michael Faraday, the man yeah. who bought you electricity, yeah. Charles Babbage, the man who bought you the computer, and then, you know, the next thing in the in the is what's the, the best thing to do on a computer? The internet. You know, Tim Berners Lee. Um, so, South London bringing you electricity, computers, and things to do computers. You're welcome. Podcasts, man, as well. Yeah, exactly. You can see the yeah, link yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, from, it's just uh, there, isn't it? Faraday, Babbage, Berners Lee, McElroy, <laughs> Stand on the shoulders of, uh, you know. <laughs> so that guy did tour, Steve. Would you say it was everything you were hoping for and more? Yeah, pretty much. I thought it was, uh, it really showcased the place. I really enjoyed the layout of it. I liked what they've done with the place. I would say it was geared slightly towards bird watchers. Yeah. I mean, it might be obvious for a wetland yeah, tenor. Yeah. But like, uh, the tour, you know, she made it clear early on, the lady. It was very, very nice uh, that you know there was going to be some in-depth bird talk yeah but you know she didn't uh, send us away you know she was quite happy to uh, allow us to join in yeah mixing up the pace now and then but yeah the layout's uh, very good isn't it it's basically it's two ways you can go we yeah. went on the west she took us on the west route then afterwards we went on the south route the west route's pretty much the world isn't it they've broken up the mm. areas into specific sort of geographical locations yeah I mean they do play that places like Chessington and uh, Orton Towers and they divide it up well Disneyland most notably well they do, they do that they're mainly by painting different sorts of designs on walls whereas here they had like trees and plants that yeah. were sort of and, and, you know it did look noticeably different every area you went into yeah and you had the birds from said continent yeah or some of it was very specific countries wasn't yeah, it and yeah, then absolutely. other bits were like Southwest Asia. I mean, it is all birds, isn't it? Mostly ducks and swans. There's otters, but we didn't see any. Oh, we didn't see the otters, did yeah. we? Yeah, no. and there was some talk of rats, but we didn't see any. Yeah, there's no avoiding rats, apparently. No. And on the website, they're quite open about snakes, but we didn't see any. So we just saw birds. But the thing is, like, I saw more swans today than I ever knew existed. Yeah, I thought swans were all white, but there's black swans. See, I knew there were black swans, swans, but I didn't know there were, like... With a big red beak. Swans within swans. Yeah. yeah it's great. More ducks. And, and again, like, you sort of go... Uh, of ducks there, but it's not they all look remarkably different don't they yeah there's the one that had the scotch egg on its head <laughs> uh, the green one one with a green that head green one yeah yeah those I mean, little brown ones I like those I'm not into nature in any way I, I had a fear I don't like animals going into uh, this trip today because it was your suggestion I thought he's forgotten he hates nature this would be <laughs> hilarious And but generally you were fine there were a couple of bits you, you got a bit I got a bit nervous on that black swan no, but you not because it was black <laughs> <laughs> but it was like going for the lady's bag like it was trying to like, to drape her, her. It? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> and there was a bit where uh, I went to have a look in a hide and you were like through that mud yeah you went a bit you went a bit Mariah Carey at that point but I did deep-ish. change my shoes I recently wore my white slip on vans to watch um my wife's cousin play football and I got them a bit muddy at uh, Field Leisure Centre in Lor- Norbury you know keeping itself on them but now this time round so that wasn't really a problem because it wasn't that muddy despite the fact it was quite moist yeah 
no, we got quite lucky with the weather, didn't we? But no, all those, uh, what did you call them? Heights. Yeah. It's basically yeah. just sheds with windows, aren't yeah, they? Absolutely. Yeah, they were yeah. a bit disappointing. Well, that, that's all they have to be, in it? They're just yeah. spaces, and they should be. And they've all got church pews in them for some reason. But, and we went out the Peacock Tower, which is essentially a sort of a free uh, Yeah, free lovely views from off there. Yeah. Because it is, yeah. it's a, yeah, the space, um, you know, they gave us a bit of the history uh, on the tour. And it's only been for 10 years, but it used to be a reservoir in, up until the 40s. And they didn't really know what to do with it. And then this guy, um, uh, Peter Scott. Peter Scott, yeah, he had a load of um, nature reserves around the country. Well, he certainly had one at that point, yeah, anyway, the one yeah. in Wales, yeah, on the 7th. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, so he ended up taking it over. Yeah, they invited him, didn't they? They said, do you mm. want to have this? And he was like, I'd love to, I haven't got any money. Uh, but they managed to like come across, up with a deal where part of the land was given to uh, a ha- house builder um, and the rest was transformed. It, it's interesting as well because, uh, something I never realised until the woman said it, it's the only man-made nature reserve in the world. Yeah, well, it's, it's, been... it's got to be the largest if it's not the only one. You know what I mean? There yeah, might be like, someone's got one be... in their garden. Yeah, I mean. but you know, it, it was, and it is a remarkable piece of work. As they to source these sort of trees and plants from around the world to properly replicate the conditions in those areas. Mm. Well, I mean, they don't. When you say properly replicate, I mean it was gloomy. So, oh yeah, no, obviously. I mean yeah. the idea of Hawaii. <laughs> uh, but like you know, the guy is going like you know, how are the ducks coping with uh, all this moisture? You know, <laughs> well, they quite like it. <laughs> Yeah, there was a guy on our tour who uh, he was kind of the class clown, if you will. Yeah. But he just started smoking halfway through. I found that quite shocking. <laughs> I've never been so shocked to see a cigarette in my life. <laughs> yeah, the structure of it is essentially you've got the, the centre uh, that you start at. And if you go on the route that we went on with the guides, it's zoned geographically. And in the other direction, it's pretty much sort of features, isn't it? So there's like a slate path and a sustainable garden and yeah. the hides and the towers. There's a couple so. of things for kids on the other side as well, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the other side's not that great. Right. Yeah, the kind of best bit is the wetlands that you can't really get on, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the central sort of feature. Mm. But you do get a good view, like you say, from that peacock tower. And from the hides, I think. Particularly if you have got yeah. binoculars and bring your own binoculars and as for the £10 do you think it's worth the money? yeah I do because it's, uh, it's a unique experience isn't it? you can't sort mm. of you know yeah, you're I mean, not, I'm not going to get anything like that so close either are you? no absolutely yeah it was so easy to get to you know uh, from Waterloo and it's the, they tell you to get a bus from the station but you shouldn't you should have a wander because it's a nice well you won't pass walk. Olympic Studios if you do yeah exactly yeah. Get, grab a Cherry Danish have a look at Olympic Studios now read the timeline, find out Spice Girls didn't want to be there, you know, stand back in amazement. Spice Girls didn't want to be there as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a bit specialist for me, really. Like, I initially thought, oh, I should have brought Jackson, my nephew, with me. Um, but I don't know if kids would appreciate it, really, because it's all. You, it just goes to a part where you can see swans and ducks for kids, really. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, uh, it's, you know, obviously, it's designed for. I'm saying that it does have like a load of kids stuff where you press buttons and uh, oh, yeah. shoot water pistols and stuff. The centre itself, they've got like uh, they've got a theatre with a film on a loop about the history of the place and they've got a spiderweb made of wall. <laughs> We're now sat uh, by the uh, sycamore tree where Mark Bolan crashed his purple mini, or his passenger in it, in 1977 and died at the age of 29. The Bolan tree, as it's become known. Yeah, um, there's also a kind of tombstone looking thing, even though it's not, obviously not buried here. And there's a 
Roland bust. And yeah, I mean, it's covered in flowers, drawings of Boland. Decorated frogs. Your children of the revolution. It's quite nice what they've done with it. There's like a kind of uh, steps leading up to it and stuff. And it is conserved. Uh, yeah, there's a, a T-Rex action group that have been given uh, control of this spot. And they organise keeping it clean and clear, maintaining it, and uh, put, were responsible for putting the bus up. Strong T-Rex links to South London then with uh, Steve Peregrine took. And uh, I hadn't realised before today, this is where Bolan uh, died. There was that Harry Hill uh, bit because if only he was riding a white swan that night rather than the uh, purple mini. It's a bit like, uh, I was going to ask you Steve, this gives you some perspective, but a bit like that uh, spinal tap scene where it helps his head, <laughs> like, too much daddy perspective. <laughs> Just a little bit on, we did Waterloo a couple of weeks ago, and not since then, but sort of since we'd last been into Waterloo Station, we've seen the renovations. I didn't get a chance to go Yeah, they've got like a new, um, what's the fancy word for balcony? Veranda? I did read about the Verandas need to look out into the yeah. open space, don't they? Whatever it's called, but it's got a Thomas Pink up there. <laughs> Oliver bonus, like paper chase. Are they assuming people turn up at the station naked and they need to buy clothes? I need to buy a very expensive shirt. Um, yeah, and they've got a two-floor boots as well, like yeah. between train platforms. It's great. I mean, they've just like it's a, and oh, also up there they've got like this kind of, I guess it's original, um, like a stained glass window with like Southern Railways written on it, wherever it was, and um, or South Eastern Railways. I'm not sure. And like some stone carving, some stuff like original. A new uh, stained glass window. No, the, the original one. I guess oh, okay. unless they've moved, they've either moved it or it's just always, always there. And they've and kind of built around London it. London Southwestern Rail, uh, That's Railway. It. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But yeah, like it's sort of elevated it to another level of uh, stationhood. <laughs>